you had these questions, how do I intermittent fast with exercise? When is the best time to eat after I exercise? How do I add diet variation into my life so I can live my life as normal? All right, on this episode, we're going to answer all of these questions and so many more. Even how much protein should I ingest? And here's another one. If I'm not interested in putting muscle on, is resistive training something that I need? Well, you're gonna learn not only is it something you need, but how it's the key to anti-aging. But I think more importantly on this episode is you're going to see uh, a little bit more of how I live my life and the gentleman that I interview here. So really a lot of information, a lot of questions so many of you had on this episode of Cell TV. Hello everyone, welcome to Cellular Healing TV. I'm Ashley Smith, and today we welcome Sim Land, who is an author, public speaker, and biohacking coach. He has written several books about intermittent fasting, autophagy, ketosis, and resistance training. Today he's here to talk about how fasting and muscle growth go hand in hand. There are a lot of common questions and concerns about this topic, and they will be addressed today. From finding that perfect balance of mTOR and autophagy to how much protein is too much, this is an interview you won't want to miss. So let's welcome Sim Land, who is joining us all the way from Estonia, and of course, Dr. Pampa, who's in Park City. Welcome, guys. All right. <clears throat> yeah, rarely do I get to interview somewhere um, where this time of year where it's colder uh, where they are than it is where I am. Um, mm -hmm. Although you told me I have more snow, so that's uh, I guess that's <laughs> yeah. good. It's not as cold, and I have more snow because snow can be fun. Well, listen, this is a this is a topic that not many of us uh, are talking about. I, I think that's how you and I connected because we uh, we connect on this topic of well, there's the groups, right? You have your mm -hmm. vegan vegetarian group that hates this mTOR pathway, which if those of you who haven't watched shows, it's an anabolic pathway that can age you prematurely if you stay in it too long, which is true. And then you have the other side. You have your bodybuilders and workout people who hate autophagy because I'm going to lose muscle. However, you and I uh, agree on that the balance between them is the key. So yeah. one of the things I want to talk about today is how do we do this? I mean, I talk about it in my book uh, a lot. I even cite all the studies because I believe the key is going back and forth. And um, well, the, the topic today is how do we do this? What, what does that look like? How much protein? How much, how do I work in resistive training to this? How many fasts, right? How much, uh, how much uh, time do I spend with either increased protein or calories to stimulate mTOR? Anyway, this is a topic that really is, I think, something that everyone needs to learn in their life because I believe we were genetically programmed for times of fast or famine, I should say, and times of feast which is what stimulates this pathway called mTOR. Uh, Sim, look, what I just said may have confused some people, right? What the heck are we talking yeah. about? Let's start there, you know? I mean, try to make it yeah. more simple than I just said. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, it's, uh, it's very common for people to, let's say, gravitate towards a certain uh, idea in terms of when it comes to nutrition and diet. And uh, a lot of the times, it's just, you know, people are, uh, you know, they get so good results by, you know, changing up their diet every once in a while. Like, you know, they quit the standard American diet, they go on a vegan diet and they see some massive improvements in their health or they go on a, like a keto diet or something and they see, uh, again, they see improvements. So it's, yeah. it's, no, it's never that 
that you know this magical diet is the best diet for everyone is the fact that the changing their body's kind of nutritional environment or metabolic status towards a certain direction and that that is allowing their body to start healing itself and bring it back into balance so you mentioned a few of these pathways that are constantly affecting this balance in your body such as autophagy and uh, mTOR so uh, let's say for example if your body is is you know experiencing an energy deprivation and starvation then it's going to turn on this pathway called autophagy or this process called autophagy and uh, when it's fed when it's eating it turns on the other side of the coin which is mTOR and mTOR is the kind of switch for growth and uh, replication so from an evolutionary perspective or, for, or the perspective of survival, then your body can't really activate those things at the same time because uh, both of them require some resources and, you know, the body tries to be as energy efficient as possible in order to survive. And that's why it has developed these different uh, pathways and sensors for uh, directing uh, the, the energy doors one or the other. And the problem in the modern world is that we're never really experiencing, you know, quote unquote, famine or starvation. We're always in this overly fed, abundant state. And uh, like you mentioned earlier, if you're elevating mTOR all the time, you're being fed, overfed constantly, then you, you may just accelerate aging and you will also predispose yourself to more disease and obesity. So uh, that's why these, in, in this modern world, we have to kind of create these uh, scenarios that kind of mimic starvation and mimic mm -hmm. some periods of famine so that we would kind of, kind of keep our body in this homeostatic balance that we wouldn't overexpress mm -hmm. the anabolism and uh, mTOR. Oh, yeah. In my book, I called uh, diet variation, feast famine cycling. I, you're right. Yeah. I mean, we have to imitate what our bodies are genetically programmed to do uh, because, you know, look, when you look at whether you improve your muscle function or strength, uh, your digestion, anything, your brain, you, it's the principle of adaptation, meaning we, we create a stress, and if we adapt, we get stronger. Um, and we have to create the stresses. Uh, you and I were right before we got on, we're talking about going from hot to cold, right? A sauna out laying in the snow, you know, and, and Ashley was like, you guys are nuts, you know, but you know, from hot to really freezing cold, hot to, what are we doing? We're, we're creating a stress. And the adaptation improves your immune system. The adaptation improves your hormones. And, you know, we're not doing anything different when we're changing the diet. When we're going from a pathway of autophagy to mTOR, we're doing the same thing as hot or cold. Uh, literally, we're just yeah. causing the body to adapt. That's the principle that Sim and I are following here. And that's the principle that really, it, it, it holds up under everything. You know, it's really cool. I'm, uh, I'm using this machine. Uh, it's called an Avacyn. And the whole principle is it heats just part of your blood. And then your hypothalamus that senses your body temperature goes, uh-oh, um, only part of the blood is heated. It's going to go, I'm going to go into heat stroke. So what does it do? It opens up all of your capillaries and sends blood into every part of your body where it typically normally doesn't have a lot of blood flow. And it creates this massive healing in your body, all based on stressing the body or at least think, getting the body to think it's stressed. And then create this um, amazing adaptation to where it sends blood out to cool the body is what it's trying to do, save its life. Wow. All right, so you know, let, let me back up a second. We'll, we'll tear this thing apart here for people. And I want people to realize, uh, you know, look, we're going to tell you how, you know, to work out with this concept and, and how to put all these things together. How did you get into this, Sim? You know, which, what's your following? You have a big YouTube following out there. You know, what, how, how did you land here? 
<laughs> well, uh, I originally I was just into like weightlifting back in high school, and uh, at that time I was also very curious and uh, did a lot of research about nutrition and diet just to optimize my results and uh, improve my body composition and strength. So just over the course of years, I've uh, learned about different diets like keto, paleo. Uh, I've done different versions of carbohydrate loading, uh, intermittent fasting, extended fasting. And I also just uh, started to broadcast those things into my blog. And from that time, it kind of gradually grew into a YouTube channel and a podcast, which we which we had you on a few weeks ago as well. So yeah, like I've, been, I've been just become very, almost like a self-experimenter who is uh, researching about these things and sharing it with other people. How many followers do you have? You have a, you have a big following. Yeah, on uh, on YouTube, I have like 95,000 subscribers or something. So we're close to 100,000. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, on other, on other, pod, on other the social media platforms, I also have on Instagram, it's like uh, 28,000. Mm -hmm. And the podcast, the podcast itself also has like, I don't know, 10 to 20,000 followers. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's been gradually growing over the course yeah. of years. That makes me happy because someone out there uh, is, is speaking uh, the, the right thing, which in, in this area, believe me, you have people line up in their camps, man. You have the keto campers, the paleo people. <laughs> I just came up with that, keto campers, paleo people, actually. Um, and then you have your, your vegan people and your vegetarian people, right? I mean, you, know, you have these yeah. people that line up on the autophagy side of things, and, you know, but yet how few are bringing it all together. Yeah. Okay. So let, let, let's talk about, it. I, I think we have a lot of listeners um, that are intermittent fasting, right? And we both know that um, intermittent fasting, a lot of people are gravitating even to one meal a day, which I have many days, right? One meal, but doing too much of even intermittent fasting can produce too much autophagy and right. therefore too much of a catabolic state. It can lower immunity. So talk a little bit about that and, and, and talk about how you have found to bring balance to that. Yeah, definitely. I think um, the most common problem with fasting too frequently has to do with the thyroid, so to say, and your metabolic rate. So uh, your thyroid is like very vulnerable to stress and especially like adrenaline and cortisol. And those those things are actually very elevated when you are fasting because like you said, fasting is a stressor. It's a positive stressor, but you know, like with, with anything that is good, too much of it can become bad. It can become bad. And if you fast, let's say too often, too long all the time, then you will ine inevitably downregulate your thyroid and that can just slow down your metabolism that can cause some other hormonal imbalances. And yeah, especially like uh, weaken your immune system. So you make it sick, and uh, the way the way I personally overcome this is, uh, you know, I change things up. Like uh, I personally eat on most days. I do eat one meal a day uh, over the course of a few hours. But on some other days, I just uh, add an additional meal and I eat two meals a day. So it just breaks the pattern, so to say, that allows my body to recover from the fasting and allows me to still still uh, keep making progress. So that's like an easy way easy way of. Uh, changing things up and you can still do you know, some form of fasting. And for other people, they may even have to include maybe three meals a day, depending on uh, the situation. But the main yeah. idea is that you change it up a little bit and you can also change things up with your diet. So for example, I do think that um, eating somewhat of a low carb diet that incorporates you know, healthy fats and plenty of protein is a good idea for most people, especially like the, pe the population that is insulin resistant or they have some sort of metabolic syndrome. Yeah, I agree. But at the same time, 
uh, some carb cycling is also very beneficial because of carbs especially are useful for uh, boosting your thyroid and overcoming this uh, slow metabolism so to say those are actually more effective for uh, overcoming metabolic adaptation and also breaking ketosis so this kind of shift uh, promotes this metabolic flexibility that teaches the body to use both carbs and fats in uh, different situations and uh, yeah like doing it doing it in a cyclical manner also enables your body to maintain its uh, resiliency so, to say, yeah. so it doesn't go into this very you know deprived state of being yeah, constantly I, I, I couldn't agree more yeah i mean i uh there's times where i'm doing you know very strict low carb ketosis there's you know for months and then there's times where i shift over to higher healthy carbohydrates um, for a time so i call yeah. that seasonal variation but what you're talking about with the intermittent uh intermittent fasting and again for new viewers intermittent fasting just means uh, Sim and I eat in a window, whether it be four hours, six hours, or one meal. Uh, that that's intermittent fasting, where you're fasting maybe 15 hours, 20 hours, you know, uh, something yeah. every day. But to our point, people with thyroid issues, um, I think more women, they do better with variation. I I find even sometimes three days of high, um, more eating or higher carbo healthy carbohydrate eating, they seem to yeah. do. You find the same thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the your body has a um... Uh, rate limiting factor for uh, restoring glycogen so you can't really fully absorb all the glycogen in one sitting it has to be it has to be done over the course of several hours mm -hmm. and uh, or several days for example so yeah that's why a single carbohydrate meal may not be as effective as doing it over several meals yeah yeah no exactly that way throwing in certain days of the week especially like I said for these you know more hormone perimenopause, adrenal issues, or thyroid issues, you know, it absolutely works. You know, the problem with it, Sim, though, is, is that it, just like anything else, you know, someone moves to a vegan diet, they feel great. So now they're always on a vegan diet, right? Someone moves to a paleo diet, they feel great. Now they're always on a paleo diet, meaning they're getting too much protein too long, or the, the vegan person's getting too much autophagy too long, right? So we kind of stick uh, to where we are. No different with the fasting, intermittent fasting. People yeah. do it. And then they realize, oh my gosh, this is working finally. So then they shift to even less, 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 yeah. right? Less meals, one meal, and they're able to do it, you know, because they're they're getting more used to it, you know, metabolically flexible. Mm. So yeah. they end up eating less and less and less and less, and, and it leads to destruction. You know, do, do you find that it's hard to get people oftentimes to do the feast days? I have yeah. to. Tell people the feast days are as important as the fast days. Do you find the same thing? Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, well, I myself, I'm also guilty of it every once in a while. Like, it's, yeah. it's you know, fasting, if, once you get used to it, it's so comfortable and you, you know, enjoy yeah. the fastest state, the mental clarity, the feeling of bliss. Yeah, right? <laughs> so you, you just want to do it. Yeah. But at the same time, I have to kind of remind myself again, yeah, that, yeah, you have to break it up every once in a while. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm as guilty as you are. I, honestly, you get to a point where it's easier for me just to go about my busy day without eating. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I literally oftentimes have to eat. Now, I may not have that uh, this uh, over the holidays, you know, but, um, I, you know, this is uh, something that's when I get busy during my work week. Um, yeah. But uh, when you have time off, it's a little bit easier to remind yourself to eat. Okay, so let, let's, let's bring it to your expertise here, uh, working out. You know, we have, I, I don't care if you're, you know, the house mom or the workout enthusiast, this works for you. Right. So give them, I really want you to give them a really good schedule, those listening, um, of how to balance this with, okay, intermittent fasting, some feast days, 
right? And, and resistive mm -hmm. workouts, right? Because if you put all these together, you know, there's magic here, right? Yeah. You know, and, and yet so few are putting it all together. So give them an example of how to put your workouts in, how to put your feast days in, and how to put your intermittent fasting in. Yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, I want to back up a little bit of why would you want to do resistance training? So, right. um, you know, the, the, the aspect of resistance training, the main goal of that or the main effect is that it promotes uh, muscle growth and also promotes bone density and just general functionality. Okay, so no, as no, you get... back up right there, Sim. I'm the sick person watching this. I don't want muscle growth. I'm the woman who's like, that's the last thing I want. But yeah. you and I, that means something else. It means you know, healthy people need muscle growth, right? Even if you want to exactly. stay skinny and healthy, you need muscle, right? So explain that a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, building muscle isn't about bodybuilding and going to okay. this stage in bikinis. It's, it's about actually creating this uh, lean muscle tissue that is functional and it's just making you more healthier. So right. muscle as, a, as an organ, as a, as a tissue, is very healthy for uh, improving your glucose tolerance, incre increases insulin sensitivity. It just improves even like your cognitive functioning as well as just anti-aging. So uh, muscle is very critical for slowing down the aging process. So as you get older, your muscle mass is going to inevitably start to deteriorate yeah. and uh, that also becomes like a, it's, it's also going to become like an increasingly more uh, problem as you get older so the less muscle you have the faster you're going to age and the faster you age the less muscle you're going to have so it's a vicious cycle yeah. in a sense so so now you have everyone's attention you know we all yeah. need good quality muscle so let's put the program together True. So uh, you do it with, uh, you know, the best form of doing it is with weights. And that is just shown over the course of decades yeah. that some form of weightlifting uh, at the gym with weights or any, like free weights or kettlebells or something else, uh, that's the most effective uh, way of uh, doing it. Uh, but also yeah, but like what, what about all the i mean it, what about all the cardio and uh, the aerobics classes and the bikes and all that stuff you're saying it's better than that well yeah like the kind of cardio exercise it's not it's not going to stimulate muscle growth because it's targets another completely energy system in the body which is uh, aerobics so you're not going to build any muscle with uh, cardio you're only going to burn calories but the difference between resistance training and cardio workouts is that the cardio workouts only promote endurance and uh, they burn calories, whereas the resistance training exercise stimulates muscle growth, which is going to speed up your metabolism. It's also going to enhance your bone density and also improves your hormonal profile. So it's a much kind of more effective way for losing fat as well as slowing down the aging process. You know, and I just, I just read a study. I'm going to keep your trend of thought here, but I'll just interject this. Um, they're doing DNA methylation tests, which is really a very accurate way of looking at like how old you are, really how old mm -hmm. you are at the cellular level and even your internal organs. They're finding that people do, who do more cardio training actually have the worst scores. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, there's a fine line and I'm not against cardio. Listen, I, I was a cyclist, you know, I, I actually mm -hmm. love it, right? But, we, you know, the resistive training to your point is far better for anti-aging. It's far better mm -hmm. if you're sick. It does better for your hormones too much of the other is very easy, especially if you're already not adapting to stress. Too much of the cardio could create a, more of an oxidative stress, but uh, go ahead. Definitely, definitely yeah. And uh, you know, I myself uh, work out with my own body weight. Like I, I do calisthenics um, on most days, but I also go to the gym like two times a week uh, where I do like actual uh, weights and uh, heavier loads. So when you look at the research, then generally like, two to three times a week of resistance training seems to be the minimum 
and seems to be like the uh, bare minimum for the optimal dose. So uh, but but uh, like you can also do it more frequently. But most people, let's say, who are just exercising for the health and anti-aging, then they don't really want to do any any more than that either. So which is fine. You can just go to the gym, uh, work out three times a week, and uh, generally it's better to target like full body compound uh, movements that that uh, target multiple joints and they also kind of stimulate the entire body so they're more effective in terms of the actual uh, response that you get from the exercise so you can do like you know the biceps curl is also almost like the cardio workout of the resistance training (laughs) instead of doing the biceps curl or the triceps push-up you you would want to focus more on like the bench press or the barbell row because with the bench press you're also training your shoulders your chest Mm -hmm. a little bit of your lats your back and it's kind of you know strengthens the entire upper body in, in one movement. Whereas with the biceps curl, you're only training the biceps and mm. the forearm and so on. So you're going to have to just spend more time doing it, and it's going to be less effective. So that's why full body kind of multi-joint compound lifts, uh, the general like uh, powerlifting movements like the bench press, the squat, the deadlift, and the barbell row. Those are kind of the big four movements that um, I think everyone should incorporate in some shape or form, and they're also have, going um, to, they're also going to mimic mimic like the functional uh, movements yeah. that you do in your everyday life. Like if you if you teach yourself how to deadlift correctly, then you're also going to teach yourself how to lift up a you know a bookcase from the floor right. better, and you're not going to pull a muscle or something. So, do you have any examples of some of those that you put together um, in your? you know, website or, you know, where would you point our people to be like, yeah, I want one of Sims like, you know, workouts and get some ideas there. Uh, yeah, like I do have, I do actually have a book, Metabolic Autophagy, that talks about how you combine both intermittent fasting with resistance training. So it's going to teach you how do you balance mTOR with autophagy and how do you do it with both the fasting and the training. Great. Yeah, no, exactly. And people want to know, right? People want to, uh, you know, be like, okay, just show me what to do. But I agree with you. If you're looking for health and longevity, even two days a week of resistive training can be really uh, amazing, right? In, in, in three, you know, that number is what I do, I, you know, two or three days. Um, and, you know, I do other outdoor activities, you know, in and around yeah. that. But the, the resistive yeah. training, that's pretty much exactly what I do. Okay, so then um, recommend. Okay, so if we're doing some of that resistive training, uh, now here's a question that I always get. Okay, so we know that we need protein to recover as well, but mm-hmm. we, we know this, folks listening. So, this mTOR pathway, which is this anabolic pathway, muscle builders or, or bodybuilders, if you will, they exaggerate these couple things to make mm-hmm. more muscle and be an mTOR. Increase protein, increase calories. Um, or even increase carbohydrates. So those will stimulate the mTOR pathway, right? The autophagy pathway is decreased calories or fasting, right? And decreased protein. So we have these pathways that we've been talking about that are opposite. Okay, so recovery from workout. How much protein? I mean, there's, this is always the debate, right? And, and again, yeah. let's talk about health. Let's, uh, the bodybuilders, they want massive amounts of protein. For our yeah. viewers and listeners, we want the optimal health balance. So, and when do I ingest it? Do I ingest more of my workout days? Do I ingest less? Of my, kind of give us a guideline with the protein. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you, you said it 
right that you know protein is very important for muscle growth and it's critical for uh, longevity as well so if you're not under eating protein you're going on a low protein diet then you may end, actually end up losing muscle mass yeah. which is going to actually accelerate your aging process which is the opposite that you want so you don't yeah. definitely i don't i don't think a low protein diet is a good good idea for longevity and uh, too much of it isn't uh, good either for the reason that you mentioned uh, but if you look at the research then um, they've, they've found that the maximum amount of or the optimal amount of protein for muscle growth that maximizes muscle growth is around 0.8 grams per pound of lean body mass up to 1.2 grams per pound of lean body mass. So uh, that's the upper limit that you wouldn't see like uh, any increasing effect going beyond that. And generally, that's the amount that is uh, recommended for people who are like very physically active. They work out, you know, three to five times a week or something. Uh, but for the general population who just wants to be healthy, I would say that it's slightly less. Maybe uh, it can be uh, at minimum, I would still recommend like 0.6 grams per pound of lean body mass and upward to like 0.8 uh, somewhere. Yeah, so there. Give, give us an example for a 125 pound person and 150. Yeah, for example, if a person is 120 pounds or 130 pounds, then at minimum, I would say that 100 grams of protein per day is a, is a good idea and upward, like 120 grams upward. Like mm -hmm. you don't need to go beyond one gram per pound of body weight. And uh, for example, if someone is 150 pounds, then the minimum for them is like 125 grams and upward to 150 grams. Or something that because if, if you look at the RDA, yeah, the RDA on the uh, on the lower scale of things, you, it would be actually lower. That was kind of around that point eight number there, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, if if uh, if your person would aim for zero point six, then I'm, I'm I'm I would say maybe like yeah, one hundred grams or something again. For a hundred fifty uh, pound person, it's around a hundred grams. Yeah, uh, yeah that, I think true. that's right. Yeah, so yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I would yeah, say that. Points, yeah, point eight. You're right, point seven five, right? To divide in half. If so, if it's point five, 150 pound person would be um, 75 grams of protein. Uh, mm. Would be point five. So a little more would be maybe 80, 90. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So just, I, I, just, I, I just want people to know what you're, how we're calculating that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend going uh, less less than that, especially if you're doing no. some form of intermittent fasting. Because Absolutely. You, you know, the idea that mTOR accelerates aging, it's also coming from the perspective of eating, you know, six meals a day. So that's why bodybuilders eat six times a day because yeah. mTOR also has a limiting factor, so to say. You can't overstimulate mTOR in one sitting up to a certain threshold. Uh, and you can't, you know, uh, you know, even if you eat, let's say, 100 grams of protein in one sitting or 30 grams of protein in one sitting, the mTOR stimulation from that meal is still the same. Yeah. Uh, because uh, the body, it's not going to overstimulate mTOR because the, it, it can only absorb a certain amount of protein in uh, one sitting. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing some form of intermittent fasting, then you don't really have to worry about the protein that much because your eating frequency is smaller. So you're stimulating mTOR even in a smaller time frame. So you have less problems. You only would have to worry about it if you're eating like the standard American diet with uh, frequent snacks and uh, frequent you know meals where you're keeping mTOR and insulin elevated all the time. But with fasting, you know that's kind of avoided. You're kind of protecting yourself against it. Yeah. So I, I just want to repeat what you said. So if you're an intermittent faster who is doing resistive training, 
uh, fact is, is you probably have a greater risk of under, getting under protein yeah. because again, remember protein is needed. And, you know, so we want protein to stimulate mTOR because mTOR is why you're working out. mTOR is needed to make the muscle stronger, right? So again, you know, Sim's point, I think, is really well taken. I think today we have a lot of our viewers who are risking too little protein um, because they're eating a lot of plant-based perhaps. Uh, it's a little harder to get the, the amount of protein that you're talking about. So exactly. you're better off. When you are eating, you know, making sure you're getting that amount, right? So again, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just looking at those yeah. numbers, you know, staying around, um, you know, that 0 0.7, 0 0.8, I guess, is, you know, kind of a healthy range there, right? So just yeah. do the math. It's, it's, it's also important to emphasize the quality of that protein and the composition of that protein. So you mentioned plant-based proteins, uh, they are generally less mTOR stimulating than animal protein because uh, animal protein contains more of these anabolic amino acids, yeah. like the branching amino acids and uh, leucine especially. So leucine yeah. is, is the key, key factor for stimulating mTOR. So uh, you can even achieve a higher mTOR response with less protein if the leucine content is higher and uh, generally animal protein especially like eggs or meat they have uh, more leucine than uh, plant protein so right. yeah you don't you don't uh, let's say with fasting you have also less less to worry about when it comes to uh, animal protein in terms of if you're worried about mTOR or uh, methionine or something well and, and I think the other point that you said I think is so well taken too is if you are fasting intermittent fasting your risk of eating too much protein becomes much less, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, to your point, when you're eating six meals a day, uh, you could actually, eat, you know, have the same amount of protein as someone intermittent fasting and have actually, you know, more problems stimulating mTOR, yeah. right? So you yeah. have a lot of plant-based people who are eating many meals a day who at the end of the day could actually run into more aging problems than someone, you know, yeah. eating one or two meals a day. Yeah. So I, I think that yeah. was a really and, good you know, yeah, you said like uh, plant-based people can also experience higher rates of mTOR if they're eating all the time because glucose yeah. and sugar is also stimulating mTOR and insulin, <laughs> insulin also elevates mTOR. So yeah. even if you're eating like a no animal protein diet, but you're doing it very frequently, then you're still not avoiding the constant stimulation of mTOR yeah. and accelerated aging. Yeah, so I mean, you know, look, I, I'm not against a vegan diet or a vegetable. Yeah. Carrying that for short periods of time. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? I mean, that's kind of Simonai's point is like, you know, the, the problem is, is that people tend to do these things too long. I'm not against massive mTOR stimulation for short periods of time. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think with the intermittent fasting, I, I think the, the protein conversation is a really important one. Uh, that, True. you know, yeah. I, I, I really don't worry about my protein in a, in a meal because yeah. I do intermittent fast. I really, I don't worry. People always go, well, how much protein do you get? And it's like, look, when I work out, I, I make sure I, I eat a normal amount of protein, you know, in my diet. And if you looked at my amount of protein, you know, it's, it's probably, you know, at least 100, 120 grams of protein at the end of my day. Um, mm -hmm. And I get that in one or two meals even, you know, and typically I get it in two meals. Um, many days, probably the days I do one meal, I'm getting less. But on the other days, I'm getting more. And on my feast days, where I really eat a lot, I'm probably getting far more. I, I hope I am. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I've figured it out to where I'm getting uh, 150, 200 grams on some of those days purposely. So mm -hmm. again, what we're talking about is doing this feast famine, you know, high protein. Um, and, and by the way, Sim, one of the things I do even with my, you know, people who are looking to regain their health is I, instead of just doing high carbohydrate days, I have them do high protein days. 
because mm-hmm. I am so concerned about their protein for their recovery. And arguably, protein has more to do with their recovery <clears throat> than the carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Right. So I like to do high protein days, which stimulates mTOR. I don't care if you get there. You can get there through carbohydrates. You can get there through calories. You can get there through, obviously, you know, protein. So protein, mm-hmm. calories, carbs, all of it will get you there. But I think for sick people, I love doing these high protein days. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's true. Like protein is very uh, valuable, and uh, even overfeeding on protein doesn't mean that you're wasting it away. Because uh, let's say uh, pro- protein can be absorbed quite over the course of several hours. So even if you are, are eating, or you're, let's say you're e- exceeding your body's protein requirements in a meal, then your body is going to just slow down the digestion of that protein, and it's still going to stay in your system for several hours afterwards. So you're going, your body's going to, going to prolong the anabolic response from that and uh, you're still absorbing it. So you're not really uh, wasting it away. So and it's very useful, especially if you're fasting and having like this uh, higher pool of amino acids to pull from. So we, we spoke a little bit to the person on, on this side of the autophagy side. Now, what about the, um, the, <clears throat> the people out there that really want to put on muscle, right? So, um, you know, do, what about the intermittent fasting? Is it, better to put muscle on intermittent fasting or the old days of eating five, six meals a day. So which way actually is going to help me hormonally put muscle on? Right. Well, you know, the problem with the bodybuilding advice of eating six meals a day is that that advice comes from people who are taking like anabolic steroids. So their hormonal environment is already more prone to muscle growth and they're kind of geared towards uh, taking more advantage of that higher eating frequency, but let's say natural people who are just wanting to uh, uh, building muscle, then for them it's not that important to have that frequent meals. Of course, eating more often would be, you know would help the muscle building process, but it's not detrimental for them to skip meals either. Like uh, let's say the average person can still eat let's say two meals a day and be very successful at building muscle as long as the calories and the protein content of the meals is uh, sufficient and uh, arguably you would you would still see uh, a, a beneficial uh, result in terms of the improved hormonal profile and improved body composition so you can you can use i like to see fasting or intermittent fasting or you fast for like 16 hours and eat your food within eight hours that's a good kind of lean lean bulking style of dieting where you're yeah. still you're still eating enough uh, but you're also uh, able to maintain relative leanness without getting fat so uh you know if you're trying to really push the envelope then maybe going towards uh eating three meals a day with the with the span of maybe 14 hours or something but you don't even you don't need to really go uh, beyond that like you don't need to eat from uh, the moment you wake up until the moment you go to bed to yeah. build muscle. Yeah, no, no and it, arguably that's when you run into trouble with too yeah. much mTOR stimulation. So now some of the bodybuilders um, are eating uh, in a window, realizing they get this hormone benefit for growth when they are fa- uh, doing fasting. However, they're pushing a lot of calories in the yeah. eating window. Maybe they're eating three times a day, um, but, but they're eating a lot of calories in the eating window. Does that work? Have you tried that? Uh, yeah, definitely. Like uh, you can still eat a plenty of calories, even if it's in a small eating window, and to build muscle with it. So um, you know, the pro- sometimes people just have a hard time of uh, achieving that because, if, especially, 
especially if they're eating like a whole foods diet, then it's very hard to gain weight on eating carrots, uh, sweet potatoes and uh, chicken breast or something. So in that case, they can safely just increase the calorie density of their meals. Like they don't have to eat bok choy and lettuce <laughs> or uh, something like that. They can go for like the fattier pieces of steak, uh, maybe mm -hmm. add some sweet potatoes, maybe add some fruit and some nuts or something that just have higher calories and help them to achieve uh, like a calorie surplus that way. Yeah, exactly. So you're saying stick to your fat and protein in the eating window because you're right. I mean, you know, basically we're getting the autophagy from the fasting. Let's say we go 18 hours. Now we're trying to eat all these calories to gain muscle in the, in the window. You're simply not hungry half the time, right? It's like, yeah. I don't want to eat another meal, right? So, but if you really bring the quality of protein um, and fats in, you can pull it off because again, yeah. in the eating window is the mTOR stimulation. That means we <clears throat> either have to increase calories, protein, or carbs, <laughs> so one or the other, or all of them, you know, to really get, you know, get that going. So anyways. One, one, one trick that's also that stimulates appetite is also combining carbs with the protein, and that can also result in a higher anabolic response. So if you combine carbohydrates with protein, then you're also going to raise mTOR and insulin slightly higher, and Absolutely. therefore, if you, you know, that can also make you more hungrier in some aspects and also makes the, makes it easier for you to kind of overcome this palate fatigue that you may experience by eating yeah. in a smaller window. Well, great, great advice. And bodybuilders have been doing that for years, you yeah. know, carbohydrates and protein even helps deliver the, uh, the amino acids into the cell, um, better, yeah. you know, for recovery. Okay. Let, let's talk about this as a question we always get. Uh, what, what about like, you know, meal timing around your workout meaning? The old days, the old days, it was like I would run home from the gym, if not bring protein with me to make sure I consume protein 20 minutes after my workout, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, now hormonally, we know there's some differences that we've discovered along the way for that. But talk about the meal timing around the workouts, because mm -hmm. that's the, probably one of the biggest questions I get. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, um, it's, it depends a lot on uh, how you've been fasting either before or around the workout. So... Uh, if you're if you're coming from a fasted workout, then it is slightly more important to get the nutrients faster into your system and start the recovery process than it is if you were to coming from like a fed workout. So if you eat before a workout, then you can safely fast for several yeah. hours after after the workout because you you're still using the nutrients that you got from the first meal. But if you're coming from a fasted workout that can be somewhat more catabolic on your system and you've broken down your muscles during the workout and if you continue to fast afterwards then that can lead to like just additional muscle loss which is not ideal so in that case i would suggest maybe trying to eat like an hour or two after the workout if you've been fasting yeah, that's before. what i do <clears throat> i try to eat you know I, I try to just you know not, around you still get that growth hormone rise so if you exercise mm. on a fast fasted state you're getting that growth hormone rise, <clears throat> this, you know, the sensitivity to the hormones. I try to ride that out for an hour or two after, you know, and, and then eat. But, mm -hmm. you know, the debate is this, you know, and I, my friend Ben Greenfield, you know, we, we've had the conversation and I find nobody really knows the answer and probably because there's never been a really good study. But, you know, when is that optimal time to eat that first meal after you work out in a fasted state? You know, nobody seems to actually know the answer. And you and I kind of landed in the same place, right. you know, that I, yeah. I like to just kind of, you know, give that growth hormone a little bit of time, but how much time? Yeah. I don't know. I think, yeah, like a, an hour or two is a, is a good amount because 
some of the beneficial adaptations you experience from the workout require the rise of cortisol and require the rise of growth hormone. So if you suppress cortisol immediately after working out by you know, taking a protein shake or something, then you may not see the optimal results. Yeah. So you need some of that stress to kick in and uh, yeah. allow you to do its work. Well, and then also, I mean, it's testosterone. The moment you start eating, your, your testosterone starts yeah. going down, right? So, I mean, there, and there's a time for both. Again, it's with that ride the hormonal uh, optimization ride, or, you know, eat and start providing the, you know, the protein needed to recover. So, I, I get, you know, we kind of land in the same place, but I mean, maybe someone will come along and say, you know, a different time later. Maybe it's different for everybody a little bit. I yeah. don't know. You depends know. on the. I think yeah, it depends on the person. Yeah, someone who's, we're, you know, we be, we got ourselves, <clears throat> excuse me, very fat adapted. Um, mm -hmm. So our bodies, you know, really uh, yeah. go into that uh, state, growth hormone state, rise in testosterone state after a workout. But maybe other people, uh, perhaps not. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's much easier for your body to deal with fasting if you are fat adapted and in ketosis. So you're going to experience less muscle catabolism, and you're also going to experience less hunger. So uh, mm -hmm. probably with with a with a keto diet, or if you're fat adapted, then you can kind of ride away for longer, and you'll have like less negative side effects. Whereas someone who is a sugar burner, then for them, the fasting is just going to cause more damage, and they mean they need to repair it more often. This is all, this is a hard question to ask um, guys like us because every day is a little bit different. You know, the question is, okay, what's your average day look like with your workouts, your meals? You know, we almost have to go, okay, well, on a, a feast day, as I call them, it looks like this. On a fasting day, it looks like this. So try to answer that question as best you can. I know we, we vary our routines, but, you know, what, what does your workout routines look like with your diet? Yeah. Uh, well, on, I would say like five days of the week i'm doing one meal a day and uh, with workouts and uh, on those days i fast uh, probably about 20 hours or something and i eat my food within three hours or, so, or some, somewhere along the lines of that sometimes it's smaller uh, sometimes it's longer but yeah generally i fast throughout the entire day i consume only like coffee or tea and uh then in the afternoon, I'm going to have like a resistance training workout with calisthenics or weights. Um, the only caveat or the only difference uh, that I do is that I actually consume like a small amount of protein during the workout in the form of a protein shake. So the idea is that because I'm only eating once a day, I'm, I'm still in need of some amino acids in order to uh, protect myself against the catabolism that I would experience during a facet workout. So I consume like a small protein shake, which is like 100 calories during the workout. And that is also going to... And what, what time is that workout? You're working out later in the day. Uh, it's in the afternoon, like yeah. around 4 p.m. That way you're getting that pure fast because if you did the shake, you're going to yeah. break your autophagy. Yeah, so exactly. You're, you're getting that, that over there. So, yeah, so then technically you're kind of eating in a window um you know four, four hours or something yeah yeah that's what i do i most of my eating days are within four hours and once i eat then i eat right i mean i i may eat you know you know just whatever yeah. it's, 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 it's not like it's not like this one uh, one massive meal it's more like a feast over the course of several hours like you yeah. uh -huh. you have a you have a meal you wait a little bit and you continue eating because yeah, it's it so is I, somewhat difficult to you know stuff yourself with uh, all your daily calories so if you extend the window then it's going to be somewhat easier yeah, you know, that, that's exactly what I do. And I witnessed that when I visited a tribe in Africa. When, mm -hmm. when they started eating, they just ate. 
right? And like you said, it's not like that they sat down to one meal. They kind of had a very festive time of eating, you know, and it was, you know, not just necessarily the one big meal. Um, of course, I'll eat even up to the big meal. <laughs> you know, it's like I just eat a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, then I'll eat maybe a big meal. But I do. I, I have a three, four hour eating window where, I, you know, it's not like I sit in my kitchen and eat that whole time. But I start the eating process. I go do something else. I eat a little more. I go do something else. Then I eat my dinner. You know, yeah. so I'm, I'm eating uh, in there. So, okay. So your workouts are a little later. You know, and again, you kind of start that, you know, what about just taking, this is easy for people. And oftentimes, uh, this is what I do when I have them, but I'll take some amino acids mm -hmm. when I work out or, you know, during that workout, um, mm -hmm. you know, just to kind of, you know, feed the, feed the body right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like if, yeah, it, it, that's the same the same principle like mm -hmm. if you if you were to take those amino acids in the morning then that would still stop the fasting yeah i don't want to do that it would, it would stop the autophagy yes yeah, right. so you would only get away with it if you take it like during the workout and later yeah. in the day yeah exactly so that's why you push it out so you can actually do that um mm -hmm. yeah you push your workout you know but most people work i would say they can they like to work out in the morning then you and i wouldn't like to do if i do work out early in the morning I don't want to do that because I don't want to break my fasting state or right. I just make that a feast day. I make that a day where I, I do, yeah. you know, just take in way more calories and protein throughout the whole day. So days I work out early, I kind of try to feast on those days more. So mm -hmm. I, I don't know yeah. if you ever do that, but yeah, you can, you can still like, if you work out in the morning, then, uh, you know, break a fast like in the noon time or something yeah. and have like two meals, three meals. So you, you, sh you should never kind of confine yourself into a certain specific way of eating. Like you should right. always maintain the flexibility and uh, be able to adapt to uh, different situations. Or uh, another idea, Sim, is that if you're saying, Hey, the only time I can work out is 8am, 7am, who knows? you shift your eating window completely, right? Yeah. So you stop eating, say, at three in the afternoon, and your fast mm -hmm. is longer, you know what I'm saying? So you can move your eating window for whatever works for your workouts, you know, or your, um, you know, or your job. I mean, who knows? I mean, but yeah, yeah so I mean, we're, you don't have to do this eating window in the afternoon. You could, could make a shift. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. And uh, arguably, like some research says that early time-restricted eating is better than uh, later time-restricted eating. Uh, but actually, if you compare them, then they're not gonna be, there's not going to be any difference as long as the hours are kind of matched. Like the magic comes from the suppression of the eating window, whether yeah. that be earlier or later, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, you know, I, I've played around with it, you know, and I've had conversations with Jason Fung about this and, and others, you know, where they, well, you know, for people who are metabolically challenged, um, diabetes or whatnot, it seems that earlier weeding, uh, eating does better for them, you know, and, and, you know, maybe, but clinically, I don't know. I, I, I tend to just let people say, where, where does it fit? Because the fact right. is, is I think you're right. The magic's in the fast, no matter what. And there's maybe a little benefit of where your eating window is. I, I agree with eating too close to bed is destructive yeah. for everybody. It yeah. disrupts your deep sleep. Exactly. So, but giving yourself, you know, four hours before bed, that's what I do, um, you know, seems to, you know, taper down that uh, any negative that would come eating late. You know, but here's the thing about eating too early. My argument is this, that we have the dawn effect, meaning in mm. the morning, your body, cortisol goes up, that wakes us up, right? The cortisol rise, and then glucose follows cortisol. So then we push glucose out into the systems. 
So if you test your glucose in the morning, it should always be a little bit higher. And, and that's why we don't have appetite, right? A healthy person doesn't have appetite yeah. because you're releasing glucose and you're going about burning your glucose. So for me, it's like the body almost doesn't want uh, to eat in the morning. What, what's your thoughts on that? Because there's a, there's debate both sides of this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely, I agree with you in the sense that you shouldn't feel hungry in the morning uh, if you have like a healthy, flexible metabolism, because yeah. you're coming from an overnight fast, you're in semi ketosis already. And that should give you like enough energy to start the day and uh, suppress your appetite. And it's definitely not like ideal to be eating uh, food if you have elevated cortisol and elevated blood sugar. So, yeah. you know, cortisol itself is, uh, is deemed to be bad, but you actually need that cortisol, you know, to kickstart the circadian rhythm and to start the day and mobilize the fat. So at that point, it's a good idea to have that cortisol elevated and maybe like wait, I would suggest... If you, if you prefer eating early in the morning, then still wait like a few hours after Correct. waking up to allow yeah. the cortisol to kind of lower down. My morning eaters, that's what I tell them. You know, yeah. wait and let that cortisol come down, let that glucose come down. And then, um, you know, and typically your body will tell you, you know, if you get hungry. Well, Sim, this has been a great conversation. I, I think um, we really hashed it out on uh, all the topics, uh, the, the amount of protein, <laughs> when to work out, uh, you know, how to eat, how to vary your diet. You know, and you and, you and I didn't uh, know each other before you interviewed me on, on your uh, social media platform. Um, but, you know, we really resonate around this uh, topic. So I'm glad there's a few of us out there. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm also glad to talk with you and uh, like, definitely, likewise, uh, spreading the good message with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Ashley, we'll connect uh, your media pages where people can um, watch you and uh, get some workout advice and uh, all that great stuff. So, Sim, thank you so much for being on Sohilling TV. Yeah, it was good talking to you. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, which was brought to you by Fastonic Molecular Hydrogen. Please check it out at getfastonic.com. We'll be back next week and every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. We truly appreciate your support. You can always find us at cellularhealing.tv. And please remember to spread the love by liking, subscribing, giving an iTunes review, or sharing the show with anyone who may benefit from the information heard here. And as always, thanks for listening.